Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're going to tell you a difficult story today from Santa Clara County. It's about the longtime sheriff, Lori Smith, and the jail that comes under her purview. It's also about mentally ill inmates who've repeatedly been injured by correctional officers or injured themselves while guards looked on. The social safety net, especially for people in mental health crisis, has frayed, and when people fall, they fall into jail. These are some of the most vulnerable people in our society struggling in and against one of the most brutal systems we've got. Who should be held accountable? Many South Bay leaders want Sheriff Lori Smith to resign. And what else needs to change? That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. In some ways, concerns about the treatment of mentally ill inmates in Santa Clara Jail reaches back more than half a decade. It's a complex situation involving multiple incarcerated people, guards, and of course, the longtime sheriff, Lori Smith, who's been in office since she was elected in 1998 as the first woman in that role in the state. The Santa Clara County Board of Supervisors and Mayor Sam Licardo in San Jose have called on Smith to step down, but they can't actually force her to do so. And she says... It's a societal problem, not her. This is wrong. We need alternatives. All of law enforcement is frustrated. How do you expect us to deal with people with mental health illnesses in the criminal justice system when we don't have alternatives? We're going to be spending the hour with two KQED reporters who have been covering this multifaceted situation so they can walk us through the latest developments and tell us what's at stake. We're talking with Aditi Bandlamudi, a Silicon Valley reporter with KQED. Welcome, Aditi. Hey, Alexis. And we also have Alex Amsley, reporter with KQED News. Welcome, Alex. Howdy. Good morning. So we want to walk through two of the high-profile cases here, and maybe let's first talk about what happened to Michael Tyree. Yeah, that was... um... So Michael Tyree, he suffered from bipolar disorder and addiction. And in 2015, he violated a probation charge and the judge ordered him detained until he could be placed into psychiatric treatment. And then in August, jail staff found Tyree dead in his cell. And Sheriff Lori Smith went after the three Santa Clara County Sheriff's deputies who were convicted of beating Tyree to death in 2018. So what happened in those sort of intervening years? Yeah, I mean, I think that the death of of Michael Tyree, and this is one of those, um, you know, very uncommon cases where a law enforcement officer is charged with a criminal homicide. And so after... You know, and, and to the sheriff's credit, I think you know, it's been said by, by other people involved in this case, as well as Lori Smith, she moved very quickly 
to initiate criminal charges against those uh, uh, former you know, jail guards, um, and they were convicted. But then I think that there was a lot of soul searching, um, a lot of uh, momentum behind some kind of real reform in the jails. But this issue is it's very complicated. And, um, you know, it's it's not something that is easy to fix overnight. That said, I think you can draw a pretty straight line from, you know, the murder of Michael Tyree to um, a civilian oversight uh, agency that is involved in kind of current controversies. You know, that was created and really um, established in the years after Michael Tyree's death. Um, and, and there's other, there's just more scrutiny and more attention paid to this issue since that really major case. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Andrew Hogan. Uh, you know, video of his crisis was recently released by the county. What, what happened to him and when did it go down? So this was in summer of 2018, August as well, late August of 2018. And Andrew Hogan, um, another, you know, <clears throat> similar circumstances. He is arrested, but not really with the intention, as I understand from his attorney, of, you know, holding him accountable for some crime, but really arrested because he hadn't been able to get uh, adequate mental health treatment from, you know, services that are out in, in, in normal life. Um, and so he's arrested really to protect himself and to get himself and get him into treatment. Um, he spent a couple of days at the, uh, lower security Elmwood, um, jail in, in San Jose. Um, and it, during that time he's deteriorating. Now the video, um, Starts the show five days later, August 25th, 2018, when, you know, he starts by asking to see a nurse um, and kind of starting to hurt himself, displaying some self-harming behavior, mm -hmm. hitting his head, kicking um, and punching, you know, the uh, sides of this isolation cell that he's kept in. Um, there's a lot of video. This goes on and this was released publicly. People in the public can watch, you know, as much of this as they feel comfortable with. It is pretty disturbing where this goes. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, correctional officers, uh, including, you know, a, a higher ranking person, a sergeant, there's a lot of de-escalation at play early on in this incident. They're talking to Andrew Hogan. They're trying to get him calmed down. They move him out of this isolation cell. Um, into a more open area, trying to make him more comfortable. This is all with the idea of they're going to move him where he probably should have been housed to begin with, which is a psychiatric ward in the county's main jail, um, which I think is, oh, 12 minutes or so drive away from the Elmwood facility. Hmm. Things really start to go badly, I would say, at the point when um, these officers try to, they, they do coax, it takes a long time, coax Andrew Hogan into a steel caged van. It, you might call it transport. a prisoner. It's yeah. a transport van. Um, there is, I think, some dispute over how appropriate this vehicle is for this purpose. Um, it turned out to be really inappropriate. As opposed to, say, like an ambulance or something. An ambulance or something that isn't so, um, you know, Andrew Hogan, eventually he gets in there. He's in, you know, arm restraints, um, handcuffs, and I think a waist, waist restraint. But uh, he's not held down in any, he's not secured in this van. So it's basically a moving steel cage that he's put by himself in. And mm -hmm. when you're listening to him, kind of plead with officers about this, I it struck me that he was very worried about going in there at all. Now, he's in the midst of a, a, a psychiatric crisis at this point, driven by, um, you know, schizophrenia. 
um, he's afraid to go in there and he's afraid to go in there by himself. Um, nevertheless, he's he's coaxed in into the van. They they shut the doors and they start to drive, you know, across town to this other facility. On the highway, um, Hogan really you can and you can see you can really hear this on the officers' body cameras. Um, starts banging his head uh, against this uh, inside of this steel cage in the back of this van, uh, which he's not in any way kind of prevented or protected from doing. Mm. Um, and so now these officers are on the road. They're not sure where to go. They're calling their sergeant, trying to figure out, well, what do we do? Um, and basically the decision is made, well, just continue to the main jail. Hmm. <clears throat> so, um, you know, that they arrive at the main jail. And at this point, it is very clear that Andrew Hogan has a pretty severe head injury. Now, he's still talking. He's still conscious at this point, and he's asking for water. He's begging to be let out of the van. He's begging to see a doctor. Um, The officers on the scene, including a sergeant and uh, potentially with the oversight of the jail's watch commander, um, decided that they were going to wait for paramedics to show up and basically continue to leave Hogan in the van by himself with Mm -hmm. the doors closed, isolated. Um, and it's at that over the course of about 20 minutes in that position that Hogan loses consciousness. Um, there is a, a major coordinated effort with like SWAT team kind of gear um, to, to remove this unconscious person from the back of this van. Um, and then he's eventually he's taken to the hospital. He was in a coma for a month, I think, um, expected mm-hmm. not to survive for some of that time and, and eventually did make a partial recovery. But today he still lives with, uh, according to his attorney, um, you know, uh, ongoing um, disabilities related to a traumatic brain injury mm. that he suffered. Alex, thanks for delivering that to us. We could really kind of really understand the circumstances here. Oddity. What what happened as a result? I mean, there's got to be some investigations, training, discipline, lawsuits like these things. Um, what happened? Well, so basically, you know, after that happens in 2018, then in 2020, um, the the family of Andrew Hogan sues the county and uh, they reach a settlement of $10 million. Um, And that's sort of that for a little while until the word sort of spreads that this has happened in Santa Clara County jails. And it's when that news starts, starts to spread that people start calling for some form of accountability. Mm-hmm. And that form of accountability takes basically is to say, hey, Sheriff Lori Smith has to go like she's where the the buck stops. Or is it that Sheriff Lori Smith is is accused of essentially building a a culture of brutality inside the jails? Well, I think the perspective that, you know, there uh, the perspective that a lot of people have is that Sheriff Lori Smith is in charge of the jails. And what happens on her watch is sort of her responsibility. And, um, you know, the the people who are sort of calling for her resignation feel like she is the one to be held accountable for all of this because it happened under her watch. There are other people who who sort of are in in favor of the sheriff or who don't believe that the sheriff is the one responsible who sort of say, hey, the problem is much bigger. This is this is mental health care facilities in jails or lack thereof. And, you know, the sheriff shouldn't be the one to go down for this system. Issue. Mm-hmm. Also, seems like it could be both. Uh, 
uh, Alex Emsley, who in Santa Clara County has really been pushing to hold Sheriff Lori Smith accountable for these incidents in the jails? Yeah, I, I mean, I first heard about that there was going to be some actions kind of taken beyond the county paying out this settlement from supervisor, county supervisor Joe Simidian. Now, he said, and I think it's important to keep in mind the context of Michael Tyree's death so many years later. Mm-hmm. Many people have expressed it's not just that this awful, you know, really, really, um, really difficult thing happened to Andrew Hogan and that was allowed kind of intentionally allowed to continue by many people involved. But it's also that this happened after there was this major kind of reckoning with this very issue. How are uh, mentally ill people treated in the county jails? Um, so uh, so I, I mean, I think that that was really hanging in the air. But um, the supervisor, and this gets a little in the weeds, but I think we, we probably should talk about it. They're making an additional argument that does really go directly to Lori Smith and, and um, what the supervisors call the appearance of impropriety, what I translate to an allegation of, of corruption basically tied to, the, uh, to Lori Smith's last reelection campaign. And we may have to talk about that when we come back from the break. We're discussing concerns about Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith's leadership and how her department treats and has treated mentally ill people in jail for years now. With Adidi Bandlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter with KQED, and Alex Emsley, reporter with KQED News. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more Forum after the break. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're discussing concerns about Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith and how her department treats mentally ill people in jail. We're joined by Adidi Bandlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter with KQD, and Alex Emsley, reporter with KQD News. Right before we went into the break, Alex Emsley was describing some of the political pressure um, that Supervisor Joe Smidian has been putting on Sheriff Lori Smith and a series of investigations that are are ongoing. Can you tell us a little more about it, Alex? Yeah, I mean, and, and I think this really brings us up to more or less, we're getting close to more or less up to, up to present time here. Um, the, 
you know, the the Board of Supervisors uh, um, started to put out information and call for information about the Andrew Hogan case to be made public. We've talked about videos from the case uh, that were made public the other day. But also there is this yet as yet unanswered question about sort of what happened within the sheriff's department internally after this incident occurred in the context of Michael Tyree's death, answering the question, how could this happen again? Right. And um, I think, you know, in in law enforcement, the uh, part of the way to get to that answer is an internal affairs investigation Mm -hmm. that would um, probe, you know, what happened here, what decisions were made and kind of what went wrong. Should anyone be held accountable there? um, There was an internal affairs investigation. This is from somewhat cryptic, um, heavily redacted information that's been released by the county council, basically the attorneys for the county. Um, and uh, the Office of Corrections and Law Enforcement Monitoring, this somewhat new, uh, mostly established at this point, civilian oversight agency of the Santa Clara County Sheriff. Um, you know, there was a there was an investigation that was started. However, it was stopped before it was completed, before it reached any conclusions. And then I think the allegation of the appearance of impropriety or potential political corruption that ties to this is one of the people involved on the scene at the main jail when Andrew Hogan was injured was uh, former um, then lieutenant uh, and watch commander Amy Lee. Now, Amy Lee was also head of the correctional officers union that had raised a ton of money. I think it was $300,000 to re Which in this context was a quite substantial part of the campaign funds that were available, right? Yes. To reelect uh, Lori Smith, who, um, you know, at the time was was facing a, a pretty um, uh, legitimate challenge. It was a, it was a rough campaign, you know, that she wasn't necessarily guaranteed to win reelection. Um, and uh, so Amy Lee, present at and sort of commanding officer at the Hogan incident, also head of the Correctional Officers Union, which as an entity had contributed a significant amount of money to reelect Lori Smith. Then there's an internal investigation that apparently doesn't come to a conclusion, basically goes nowhere. We don't know at this point the answers as to why that happened, who made that decision. That's something um, that Simidian and I think other supervisors are really pushing to find out and that the office of uh, that the civilian oversight office is actually imminently issuing a subpoena against the sheriff to force the release of that information because the sheriff's office and the sheriff herself have refused to explain that uh, uh, specifically. And by that, I mean what happened with this internal investigation, who was investigated. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of accountability for Amy Lee or potentially other supervisors on the scene, what happened with Lee is that she was promoted to captain uh, about three months after the uh, Hogan incident and uh, right after Laurie Smith's successful re-election bid. Uh-huh. Now, she later went on to be fired. So that gets um, confusing and is now, uh, that's, a, that's an extra wrinkle, I should say. Yeah. And Amy Lee is now suing for wrongful termination. Yeah. We're discussing concerns about Santa Clara County Sheriff Laurie Smith's leadership and how her department treats and has treated mentally ill people in jail with Alex Emsley, reporter with KQED News, and Adidi Bandlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter with KQED. We also want to note that Sheriff Laurie Smith declined our invitation to join the show today. 
And we'd love to invite you into the conversation. How do you think our government agencies, particularly within uh, within the criminal justice system, should handle mentally ill people? And if you're in Santa Clara County, what do you think of Sheriff Smith's leadership? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook, as always. We're at KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions or comments to forum at KQED. Org. We do want to add Paula Canny, an attorney who represented the families of Michael Tyree and Andrew Hogan, who you heard about at the top of the show, both mentally ill men, in lawsuits against the Santa Clara County Jail and County. Welcome to the show, Paula. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us. We really, we really appreciate you making time. So wh- why don't you give us your perspective on this issue, obviously, you've you've you know as much about these incidents as as anybody. What what really went wrong inside Santa Clara County jails, and and how would you describe um, what should have happened? Well, I mean, it's super complicated because I get that we're focusing on Sheriff Smith and jail operations. But sort of my pitch when I first started to do this kind of work, because I'm not a personal injury lawyer, I really am a state court criminal defense practitioner who Hmm. sort of stumbled my way into doing this because I did a lot of indigent defense and have done a lot of criminal defense over the 40 plus years that I've practiced law. And then what's happened really is that I just started to think about oh my goodness, all these people I represent are in jail. What what are their conditions of confinement like? Mm -hmm. So in terms of of Michael Tyree, that is a much different situation than Andy Hogan. And I've done jail cases all over the state of California. There's 57 jails in the 58 counties. Alpine County is too small to have a jail. But it's, it's remarkable how similar all of the problems are in all of the jails in all of the states and and, and all of the jails and all of the counties in the state, sorry, because all of the jails are tasked with now treating mentally ill people. And so when I first started, I was like, oh my goodness, the sheriff needs to do a better job taking care of mentally ill people. And I do believe that. But now what I really understand We need to do a better job overall of addressing mental illness as a public health crisis, not a criminal justice problem. So in terms of Michael Tyree, he was in custody on super low level offenses. He was in that behavioral mental health court waiting for a mental health bed. So what I know about Santa Clara County is the county is at least a thousand uh, public beds short for mental health beds. There are simply no mental health facilities to place mentally ill people. And so as sort of a default situation, the county uses the jail as the place to put mentally ill people. And so what I'm saying now is that's crazy. If there were if there were a psychiatric facility, Michael Tyree wouldn't have been in the jail. And the other thing that I will say about Tyree is that in that instance, Sheriff Smith 
arrested the three correctional officers or caused them to be arrested within five days of the incident and led to their successful prosecution. And they were all convicted of second degree murder, which is remarkable, having done lots of other cases. Extremely rare. So it's super rare. And then in terms of Andy Hogan, I mean, Andy had been turned away by the Santa Clara County Psych Emergency Services 18 times before this incident. And so so part of what I'm saying is, of course, the sheriff's department should have done better, but the sheriff's department isn't trained to be, you know, a, a psych hospital. And if psych emergency services would have accepted Andy, maybe in one of those instances, it wouldn't have come to this. And the other thing is, you know, Paul, let me ask you, though, shouldn't they if that is what the system is and has been for years and years, shouldn't they be trained basically as a psych hospital? Uh, So that's a great question. And so I used to be of the ilk. Yes, of course. But now I'm more of the the belief that mentally ill people shouldn't be placed in the criminal justice system. They should be put in mental hospitals because mental illness is a public health crisis, not a criminal justice issue. So, no, I actually think that after having done this a lot for like the last, you know, eight years or so, No, I think we need to build uh, psychiatric facilities. Do we really want to incarcerate like Michael was in custody for, you know, vandalism, uh, a petty theft, stuff like that? Do we really want to incarcerate people who are acting out because of their mental illness that also is criminal conduct? Do we want to put them in the criminal justice system or do we want to treat them in a mental health system. And really the reality is we don't have a public health mental health system anymore. We just have all these people being placed in the criminal justice system. And and really, if you think about the, there's a thing called the police officer standards and training. And so that's what the state of California says the minimum requirements are to be a correctional officer, these post minimum standards, it's only four months. That isn't enough training. You're absolutely right. It's not enough training. It's less than to be a full peace officer. And if you think about it, to be a psychologist, you have to go to college. You have to go to a two years master program. And then you do 3000 hours of clinical work before you can even take the exam. So in a perfect world, Yes, I would want the jails to be filled with correctional staff trained like that. And the other thing is I've studied all this. A super remarkable fact is of the psychologists and psychiatrists in the state of California, over 50 percent are over the age of 60. So we have this we need more psychologists and psychiatrists. It's it's pretty scary. Thanks so much, Paul. I want to add in Jacqueline from Berkeley into our discussion. Welcome to the show, Jacqueline. Thank you. I'm a nurse for 40 years in Berkeley, California. I've worked on all the psych units we used to have at Herrick Hospital and in the ICU for over 20 years. 
where it's the first place where mentally ill people come after the ER until they can find a psychiatric bed. In the 1980s, I did was six weeks at Napa State Hospital. I thought it was a wonderful facility, and well, it was like maybe 79. In the early 80s, the American Civil Liberties Union took it all the way to the Supreme Court, saying that putting people in mental institutions or forcing them to take their medication was illegal incarceration without a crime. That was in the spring, and all the patients chose to leave. And then we had Reagan for our uh, governor. The hospitals had always been staffed for full occupation because they were always full. Suddenly, they were only 20% occupied. Reagan closed 80% of the beds. I feel we need to reopen the state mental health system, build better, not make big units like they used to be, but private rooms. We own the land. They have the facilities. We can build good housing. Lots of these patients I've worked with, all they need is structure, someone to give them their meds, Mm -hmm. someone to say it's time to get up, have food. They had wonderful closed workshops for the patients. The work was designed by their psychiatrist, a psychologist, and a therapist. If we should fund this, unfortunately, they cut the funding for the mental health hospitals and never funded enough local places. Also, housing is very expensive. We own this land. Instead of having to buy land to rebuild low-income housing for mentally ill people, we could build it on those facilities that we own. Napa State, now 80% of it is leased out to agriculture. Well, boy, that sure seems heck of a lot better than the treatment they're likely to get in jail in any yeah, county. These patients around. can do really well with structure, but they stop, like so many, they taking their meds, they're doing well. They say, I don't have to take these anymore. They stop taking their meds, they fall apart. Yeah. And because housing is so expensive, they're living in the streets. There's too many drug temptations, other things. With small structure, I've seen these patients do wonderful. Yeah. For years in Berkeley, a lot of them you, I would see in the street because I walked to work, and they would be fine all summer, but in the winter, they'd want to check in. Now there's no beds to go in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your comment. I want to add Lisa Daly, the executive director of the Treatment Advocacy Center, an organization against decriminalization of mental illness, into our conversation to actually help uh, address your, your question, Jacqueline. Uh, Lisa Daly, what role do you think the closing of those state mental hospitals and and otherwise cutting up the social safety net has has played in increasing these problems? Well, I mean, it's it's played an enormous role in it. And I would say really the main driver in it, especially in California, where there's such a dearth of hospital beds. Um, what you what you see with the research is that there is really a, like a direct relationship between as the number of hospital beds goes down, the number of people who have severe mental illness who are finding themselves in jails and prisons goes up at the same rate. So it really is related. Um, and, it, and it's basically the idea behind that might have been a good idea. You know, we wanted to encourage people to receive treatment in the least restri- restrictive setting possible. But uh, but really what we did was we didn't invest in, in providing anything that was comparable in the community. And that's that's really where we are now. We also really kind of we see that states saw an opportunity to save a lot of money by uh, by closing these hospital beds because they're very they are expensive and it's a it's a big burden but it, it's a burden that should be borne by the state it's a responsibility that the state has towards its citizens um, so definitely you, you know we do see that 
um, a lack of availability in beds really impacts people all along the continuum of care. Uh, and it leads to, you know, if you have a, a lack of, of treatment beds that are available for people when they're trying to enter the system um, in the medical side of things, on the civil side of things, and they can't get into the hospital or they might be cycling in and out of the emergency rooms, then what's happening is that they're staying in the community for longer periods of time untreated and getting sicker and sicker and sicker, which makes it much more likely that when they encounter law enforcement, they may engage in conduct that could be either considered a symptom or it could be considered a crime. It's really one of the big roots of criminalization. Yeah. Um, Noel tweets, one of our listeners, we need to build a mental hospital on the site of the main jail south that was demolished last year and elect a new sheriff. Is that something that you would support, a new mental hospital on the site of the main jail south? Lisa Daly. Um, I mean, you know, I guess the way that the way that uh, my organization looks at it is that you you make decisions about what you want to invest in. And it you should be, you know, as a society, I think we should be investing in health facilities rather than trying to retrofit jails to actually um, treat people in settings that are never intended to, to treat people. I will say, though, that, um, you know, I do understand that you actually have to come at it from a perspective of there are people in jails and prisons who have severe mental illness already. So you do also need to come up with better ways mm -hmm to safely handle people. But you know, definitely what California needs is it needs more beds. And, and there's quite a lot of data to suggest that. So I would absolutely support that. Yeah. We're discussing concerns about how mentally ill people are treated in jail, in particular in Santa Clara County with Lisa Daly, executive director of the Treatment Advocacy Center, an organization against the criminalization of mental illness. Aditi Banlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter with KQED. Alex Emsley, reporter with KQED News. And Paula Candy, we're going to say... Goodbye, let you get back to your work. Uh, Paula is an attorney who represented the families of Michael Tyree and Andrew Hogan, both mentally ill men. Thank you so much for your time, Paula. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Stay tuned for more Forum After the Break. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're discussing concerns about the treatment of mentally ill people in jails, in particular in Santa Clara County in, under Sheriff Lori Smith's uh, leadership. We're joined by Aditi Bandlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter with KQED, Alex Emsley, reporter with KQED News, and Lisa Daly, executive director of the Treatment Advocacy Center. And also just want to note one more time that we did invite Sheriff Lori Smith onto the show. She declined 
our invitation, and we'd like to invite you into the show. How do you think government agencies should handle mentally ill people, in particular around the prison and jail system? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. As always, get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum, or you can email forum at kqed.org. Alex, I wanted to ask you about places that have tried to keep people suffering mental health crises, mentally ill people, out of jails. Do we have good examples of places, you know, we heard Paul Kenny, the attorney, uh, earlier saying that the problems are the same everywhere, but do we have people who've come up with different solutions? Well, you know, at least locally, what I can say is... Um, I am aware of places that have tried to move down the path to a real and permanent alternative where Mm -hmm. you could actually point to a particular person and say this person, you know, would have used to have ended up in a jail facility and instead was completely diverted out of the criminal justice system. But I'm not really aware of that you know, taking off in the way that, frankly, people are calling for in Santa Clara County right now. Um, I found that it's really interesting that, you know, this um, information about the Andrew Hogan case coming out and sort of the, um, you know, political concerns or questions about Sheriff Lori Smith have really led to what seems to be a much more um, substantive debate about how we as a society deal with this issue. And um, so there is a, there was a comment about, you know, what should be built on the side of the old main jail south, right? And the county is right now um, and has been for years really wrestling with that question um, because there is the idea of that there are people with, uh, you know, um, with mental health issues who are already incarcerated. And you need to have a humane and, frankly, in Santa Clara County, a court-ordered, constitutionally, um, you know, acceptable uh, setting for, for them to, to live. Um, and so that maybe tends toward a new jail facility that has uh, a big chunk. I think it's over two-thirds of its um, beds or cells uh, catering to or, or constructed around, um, you know, a better setting for mental health treatment? Or should you construct a secure, uh, locked psychiatric facility, Um, which is something that I believe, you know, Lori Smith came out and said, don't build a main jail. This was in the heat of this uh, controversy when she's there are calls for her resignation. She said, you know, don't build a main jail. If you really want to address this problem, build a um, build that build that uh, facility that's dedicated to mental health treatment. But I think it's fascinating, and this is just a recent development on that front. You know, the county, um, county staff came back and said, we, we really need a jail facility. We need to to upgrade our jail facility to satisfy, you know, these court orders that say that we need to um, do better in, in this treatment area. And that you basically, that the argument is that you can't um, build a non-custodial facility and then put people who are arrested and charged with mm-hmm. crimes and hold them there. This is this is a, a legal issue uh, that there isn't the authority to do. Um, so I'm not an expert really on the, uh, you know, the, the deep details of that. But I think it's interesting that 
what is the difference between these facilities and and can a place that really wants to make a radical change and say no we want to remove this uh, issue of, of treatment from the criminal justice system can they even do so legally I, right. I'm not sure right. maybe the way it's done in, in some other countries yeah Lisa Daly what do you think I guess what I would say is that there's there's really two populations that we're looking at in jails, uh, especially where you've got people who are adjudicated and you've got people who are not adjudicated. And there's there, the issues differ. That means they've been convicted of a crime or people right. are I mean, just being held there for, for because they've been picked up. Exactly. And so in the in the beginning part of a process, say after a person has been arrested and there hasn't been you know, a conviction of any sort, then the issue is whether or not that person is competent to proceed and aid in their defense. Um, and in California, there's been an enormous uptick in the percentage of, of people who are, you know, really the, there's a question as to whether or not they have uh, the competence to proceed. And they may also be in jail and they may be awaiting an evaluation or a return to competency, which it would be typically done in a hospital setting. Uh, so that population, um, you know, really belongs in a hospital because they haven't, there's no determination that's been made. But then there's also the population of people who, you know, maybe they have a conviction or are, are waiting, uh, or they have been found to be competent, but still have mental illness issues that need to be addressed. So, I mean, really the solution needs to be both. I mean, you need to have adequate facilities to actually address, uh, you know, mental health needs, of, of people who, you know, where uh, you need to figure out whether or not they are able to be proceeding within the criminal justice system or people who meet the, uh, the criteria for being committed and required treatment in a hospital facility. But you also need to have adequate facilities um, in jails and prisons to humanely uh, provide care for the people who are there because the, the population exists in both places. Yeah. Aditya, I wanted to ask you about the sort of political and also sort of policy situation there in Santa Clara County. I mean, is there political will to spend money on this issue to be able to provide the different types of care that different populations need here? Well, you know, it's interesting that you that you ask that because basically what's going on now is so to give it a timeline. Last year, like late last year, the Board of Supervisors was sort of grappling with this decision of to move forward with the, you know, with building the new jail or to build a psychiatric hospital. And eventually what came out of all of that was to just move forward forward with the new jail for a variety of reasons. One one reason that was given is that a psychiatric hospital would be very expensive and the other the other uh, reason was that um, building a um, if if there isn't a new jail that's built, there are some problems that exist in the existing jails that would still be there. Um, you know, COVID cases, for example, rose um, during the pandemic in jails because of lack of space. Um, and so, you know, they moved the, the board of supervisors decided to move along with the new jail instead of a psychiatric hospital. And as Alex had said, you know, Sheriff Lori Smith, at first, she sort of said we're in favor of building the new jail. But she changed her stance and said, instead, we need to build these facilities. Now, what's happening um, 
literally this week, is that the Board of Supervisors was going to move forward with talking more about those plans to build the new jail. And they actually halted. They halted their plans and they said, um, you know, we we talked to the community. We hear that people want these alternatives and we're not seeing that in the, the current plan that's moving forward. So what the Board of Supervisors has planned to do is they've planned to take a, a few months and pick this back up in January when hopefully, you know, some some people are are hoping that they'll take up this issue again and maybe include more resources for for um, for mentally ill inmates. Yeah. Let's bring in Tina from Sausalito into our conversation. Hi, Hi Tina. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, I can you guys hear me OK? Yes, we can. Okay, great. So I'm a psychologist and my partner is a psychiatrist. And this is a very um, complicated issue. I've actually done, uh, most of my work has been in inpatient psychiatric hospitals. My partner has worked inpatient as well as in forensic settings. And um, it's really complicated. But one thing that I consistently see across the board is that there needs to be more consultation with psychologists and psychiatrists in terms of what is actually needed. Um, I'm glad that we're hearing from the community and I think it's really important to you know, have the community's input. And also there's some fundamental things that the community um, aren't aware of, right? That people who are actually experts in this field would be able to provide insight into. And by that, give me an example of that. Um, so, I mean, I think, for example, I mean, we just, and this was spoken to earlier, we just need more beds, um, you know, inpatient psychiatric hospital beds for both adults as well as adolescents and children. There's a huge lack of beds for adolescents and children who do actually need um, those, who need a place to go to when they are in crisis. And then also there needs to be a shift away from these programs and settings being insurance funded. I mean, I know this is, again, a larger conversation, but a lot of times these stays are insurance driven rather Mm -hmm. than treatment driven. And that's a huge problem. Then the providers aren't able to actually provide quality treatment to people who really need it. um, And instead, it's money driven or insurance driven. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, uh, for that call, Tina. And I'm going to go right to... uh, Carter in in Oakland as well, another uh, healthcare provider. Hello? Hi, Carter. Hi, Carter. Can you hear us? I can. Just one second. Um, so I've worked as an emergency physician at uh, the county hospital in Alameda County for 38 years, and I have seen how Emergency departments are where failed social experimentation Mm. goes to die. Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. So the drive to deinstitutionalize mental health patients out of the state hospitals was driven by very good intentions. But the problem is that if you're going to put people into their home communities, and halfway houses, which is what the plan was when they were first deinstitutionalized, you have to provide the money for those institutions to do their job. And what happened after deinstitutionalization was that funding lasted about 18 months and then dried up. Mm. And lo and behold, 
Then there began to be an epidemic of homelessness. No one should be surprised by that. The state mental hospitals were emptied onto the streets. At the same time, the federal government, with the actions of the VA system, there was uh, Letterman Army Institute of Medicine, Oak Knoll Hospital. Those were receiving facilities for people who were coming out of the service in Vietnam in the late 60s. And the Bay Area is not a bad place. Uh, a lot of people stayed, and we know that a lot of people coming back from Vietnam were not well treated by society or the VA system, had drug issues, had issues with mental illness, PTSD, and other things, and they ended up on the streets also not being taken care of. Yeah. Yeah, Carter, thank you so much for that a really important historical context to, you know, an issue that I think a lot of people would like to simplify. And, and I want to throw uh, one more thing to you, uh, Lisa Daly, both taking into account uh, Carter's comments and Tina from Susselito as well. Erica writes, what about mentally ill persons' right to choose? Been impossible to get people forced into into treatment. And this is obviously, I mean, this is a very tough, like kind of rights-based issue. Um, where do you come down on it or how do you even think about it? Well, I mean, I guess the way the way that I look at it is that if you if you provide good care at every part of the system, the vast majority of people will find care on a voluntary basis. But that is not the that's not what exists in California. Mm -hmm. And it's not really what exists anywhere. So if it's impossible to get care at a time when you may be aware of the fact that you're that you're in need of it, then that that would be the ideal. But what ends up happening is that people may be and, you know, in particularly with with cases of severe mental illness where psychosis is a feature, um, you definitely may find a lot of people who have so little insight into their illness that they're, you know, they're not going to seek treatment. So, you know, I don't think it's an appropriate reaction to say we need to honor a choice born of psychosis above the humanitarian need for people to provide care and not to be left to languish on the streets or in jails and prisons. So I realize that it's a tough issue. And I certainly realized that, you know, the, the preference is always going to be for you know, self-directed care that is on a that is able to be sought by the individual, but that doesn't mean that we should, as a society, just decide to ignore people who are not able to do that. Um, you know, we see it every day on the streets. You know, people who are so deeply in psychosis that the idea that that person should be required to go and seek services in order to be able to receive them is really just not consistent with what we should consider to be our values. Um, I want to get to one uh, last call. George in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Yes. Good morning. Thank you. Let me point out the uh, physician who ran the emergency room. He gets it. Uh, he gets it almost completely. Uh, the system has, we now have more seriously mentally ill in the penal system than we ever had in the state hospitals. We are doing the most expensive uh, experiment in human cruelty that you can imagine. We wait until people with schizophrenia commit crimes, and then 
put them into the jail system and go through this competency to stand trial. And you have to understand, these are not people in denial. These are people with anosognosia. And this is a neurological term, which means people incapable of recognizing and self-assessing their illness. We all see it with patients with Alzheimer's disease. You see it often in patients with strokes. Uh, this is what happens in schizophrenia, which is, in essence, a, a, a disease of the brain. The law was written in 1966-67 when schizophrenia was seen as a myth. Literally, it was called the myth of mental illness. Mm. Uh, over the years, we see there are changes in the structure and function of the brain. We have to recognize these are people who cannot care for themselves, and as a civilized society, we have to look after them. And you've they worked with some of these folks, right, they don't George? Want to. They can't look after themselves. George, you've worked with some of these folks, too, right? Uh, I'm sorry? You've worked with some of these people as well. From my Oh, I work. I, I go in regularly. I'm an old psychiatrist. I've been involved in, I worked at Vacaville in the prison for a while, and I've done a lot of medical God. legal work because I see how how ill-treated these people are, and they're ill. They're not bad. They're not criminal. They, they, people they're, whose they're brains sick. are not yeah. functioning properly, and it's not a psychological, Just it's not just a psychological. It's physical changes in the brain with enormous psychological complications and implications. They cannot assess their own well-being, and they die young, and they get all sorts of illnesses. We want to relabel them homeless, but they are really dementing people on the street that we relabel homeless. You put, you cannot put them into, into rooms just to get them off the street because the drug dealers are right law alongside them. I have watched patients of mine come out of the hospital in good shape, and the way the laws are written, they cannot be kept on conservatorships once they're in the street if the family wants to cooperate. Thank you, George. We've got to go. Um, thanks so much for the, for that context and for your work as well. We've been discussing concerns about Santa Clara, Santa Clara County Sheriff Lori Smith's leadership, as well as this larger issue of how our society treats mentally ill people. We've been joined by Aditi Banlamudi, Silicon Valley reporter at KQED, Alex Emsley, reporter at KQED News, Lisa Daly, executive director of the Treatment Advocacy Center, and we had Paula Canny on earlier, an attorney who represented families uh, in this realm. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. 
Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.